0: This is Live Booleans, where Costa and Alex chat about, well, game dev things video games, dev culture, tech, game design,
1: events, and all the other stuff they love to nerd out on. So, thanks for tuning in. So, welcome to this episode of Live Booleans. Uh, I am joined by my co host, Alex. How you doing, Custer? And we've also got a special guest, uh, John, as well, who is joining us Well, today. I'm not the guest. He's not special the special guest. guest. He's one of the guests. <laughs> I, I'm another special guest. <laughs> <laughs> and then the specialist of guests, um, Grant Kirkhope. Thank you for coming on, Grant. Thanks for asking me. Fantastic. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll start off as we usually start off all these podcasts, which is uh, give us a little bit of rundown of how you became to be um, this icon in uh, the music
2: scene of uh, games? I'm also sure I'm an icon. <laughs> Does that just mean I'm old enough to be... Just, I'm, I'm long enough that I'm so old that people just go, oh, that's that old bloke.
1: <laughs> that picture's an icon. <laughs> well, I, 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 you, you I can't like hear a, a, a
3: trombone without thinking of Grant <laughs> Kirkhope. so yeah. there's some level of like icon. Mean, there was
0: a BAFTA nomination or something in there as yeah, well, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, that, that gives yeah. you some sort of credence.
2: Well, I guess. No, so I guess I, would, I just... Um, you know, I did this. went to school like anybody else and, you know, I wanted to be in a metal band like, I don't know, some people. I uh, never quite got there, you know, played in lots of local metal bands and that's all I wanted to do, really. And I went to music college. I did a degree in trumpet playing, so I was a classical chain trumpet player. Um, not really wanted to do that, but I went because it was four years without getting a job, right? So I thought I'd go and do that. Left that, played in loads of bands for about another 11 years. And some bands did well and some bands did terrible. And that was basically it, really. I was kind of you know playing in bands going on tour coming back signing on unemployment benefit and then doing it all over again you know that's what i did i that kind of thought that's, that would be my life forever i had a mate called um robin beanland who's played keyboards in one of the local bands that i played for and um he one day announced he got a job and i was like you know no one that i knew got a job we all just you know played in bands and messed around that's what <laughs> it used to be. And i was 33 at the time i played 32 ish i was like what what are you doing? He said, well, I've got a job working at a company called Rare in the Midlands writing music for video games. I was like, what? That's a job, you know? Um, so uh, yeah, I played a lot of games at the time, you know, so off he went. And he'd been there about a year and a half. And he said to me, he comments said Grant, you know, you've been on and off unemployment benefit for like 11 years, which I had. He said, don't you think you should probably get a job, you know? And I was like, well, you know, what can I do? He said, well, why don't you try to do what I'm doing, write music for video games? I said, well, pff, I'll have a go, you know. <laughs> So he recommended that I bought a, a, a keyboard module, a copy of Cubase, uh, Atari ST, you know, with one meg of RAM, which was big in those days. Mm. And that was 1994. <laughs> and I, I spent about the next year sat in my bedroom right in my mum's house, writing, um, I was still living with my mother, 33. Um, I was uh, writing tunes that I thought would be appropriate for video games. And I sent them, uh, I sent uh, five cassette tapes, because there were cassette tapes then, over the course of 1994. I never got a reply. And out of the blue, I got a letter saying, can you please come for an interview? And I was like, blimey, I can't believe it. Um, so off I went. Uh, Dave Wise uh, interviewed me a lot with Simon Farmer, who was the general manager, and on the Friday. And I got a letter on the Monday saying I got the job. Couldn't believe it. So that was it. I was off. Left my mother, packed my bags, and went to work at work. The... <laughs> that was that.
1: <bad.
0: laughs>
2: what were the
1: demo tapes that you sent? Was there any um, familiar tunes that uh, people would know?
2: Yeah, some of my. It's hard to remember, really, but I know some of them definitely made it into games later. Um, certainly, um, uh, Chicago Stealth from Perfect Dark was on there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, some of the stuff from Band—I think like uh, Mayhem Temple, the, the initial bit that, mm-hmm. that that was on there. But these are kicking around somewhere actually on, on uh, YouTube. Some people people found them somewhere, so they're they're, they're about. So, but for the interview, I had to—they had to uh, they asked me to write um, a Batman-style orchestral piece, oh, wow. a Mario-type platform piece, and something else. It was... Uh, oh, a guitar bass fighting tune because we were doing um, Killer Instinct 2 at the time. Mm-hmm. So wanted someone to play guitar. So uh, Robbie knew me, of course, you know, so know, knew I played guitar for the metal bands we played in before. So yeah, so I started to write those quickly and then take the cassette down with me and play them when I got there. So that's what we did.
1: So it was just on the spot sort of a bit of pressure there to to produce all these different types of uh, songs and, and uh, yeah, that's good. That's awesome. Um, I want to actually ask you... Uh, when you sort of joined onto Rare and you worked on some of those initial games, how early would you actually see the games before you'd write the uh, the music? Was it you know in a beta phase or was it just grey boxes or how 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 progressed or far progressed was the game before you actually started to write the music?
2: So you'd see it right at the start. Like being a staff composer, it's different than being like a, I'm a freelance composer. And that's different. Mm. But like when you're a staff guy, you're just in the in the the buildings, like you're there, right? So you see everything that happens from mm. day one. So, um, I mean, I joined around '95, October 15th. So um, my first job was to work on uh, Diddy Kong's Quest, which was mm. dtc 2 from convert it from the SNES to work on the original Grey Game Boy Dave stuff. So that game had already been out, mm-hmm. um, and then I got went straight onto Golden. i that game, game had been working, i had been there for a little while. It had been started, you know, but there wasn't a lot to see so i wrote Goldeneye mostly the bits that i did because me and graham norgate shared it Um the bits i wrote i kind of wrote from just text descriptions you know they did write a few lines of text and say this is a the control room this this is the dam whatever i would seen the movie of course you know um so yeah that you know so you've, you're generally there from the start really and then i joined on to doing dream which i've been going a little while but then it turned into Bandicoot. so i was a, I was a mm-hmm. from the very start right so you know it's like um yeah, most of those games I saw from the beginning, really.
1: Did it? Did it change from uh, Dream when you when you went from Dream into Benji? Because we did the did the the music sound uh, change much in the style?
2: Yeah, a lot. Because like when I joined Dream, Dave Wives was doing that, that gig. Yeah, and um, it was very like RPG Zelda, like you know, wander about kind of game. It was kind of there's a Snes version of it first of all. Um, mm-hmm. Pardon me, and then um, we got switched to the N64. Uh, and then it, it kind of a definitely it was two D snares kind of you know thing that got changed into three D wonder about Zelda sort of thing. Uh, so I wrote like 107 pieces of music for Dream, um, and then it got wow. scrapped. <laughs> and, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. and I mean, you're working with different hardware there uh, as well. So so um, I'm also a composer for video All games. Right. So so I've done a little bit though I never worked on snares n 64. But I know you've definitely got your hardware limitations there. Yeah. With so the SNES. I, yeah.
2: So I didn't work on the snares ever. I only worked on the Game Boy, and then went straight to the N sixty four. But Dave was the kind of snares master. He was brilliant at that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, sort of um, limitations aside, it was still very different to when it became back, turned into Banjo, because uh, it went from being a, you know, a, a Zelda RPG thing and turned into a, yeah, you know, a Mario sixty four platform. You know,
1: mm-hmm.
2: oh. so, so it was very different. So I had to kind of and some of the some of the boss pieces I think made it have survived into other games. Mm-hmm. Um, the dream theme tune made it into Viva Piñata later. So I did reuse a, a bit of it, but not all of it. Some of it just got dumped. So what
3: was the, like, because um, you mentioned there's a difference between the staff musician. Uh, what, what was the title you gave it? Staff... Staff composer. Staff, music, staff composer. And then a, a freelancer, because John works for on, um, my game um, as a freelancer. And... W- we want to, you know, at one stage get him in as a staff composer, but budget limitations. So I'm just wondering, what was it like like back then? Is it different now, like the, the budget restraints, the, like, can teams afford to have staff
2: composers? Does it require, you know, an extra financial coming in? So I feel like staff composer is a little bit of a, not a dying breed, but it's less prevalent than it was. I feel like companies should have start guys on staff a lot, you know, back then, I feel like it's less so now. I feel like the, the it's kind of, the because you know when I did when I worked at Rare, you got, just got given a whole game, so you did all the sound effects and all the music, and that was it. You did the whole thing, so I did all the banjo. Everything you hear is by me, you know. Um, so that's the way it was at Rare, um, and then I guess as time went on, it got, it, it kind of split the roles into sound designer and composer, kind of split, and it's more like that now. I don't think you get you get too many sound design composers kicking about these days. I'm mm-hmm. sure there I, are, but not that I know of.
0: I don't know about you, Grant, but um, so even though I am a freelancer, I've worked with these guys at Melonhead Games for a while now, and I found it's really helpful that we've kind of established the kind of friendship and the common communication and all that. Um, yeah. you've been both like in house and freelancer. Do you find it? It is you get that a lot more being at Rare, like you you kind of understood how they think and you know their vision from the start is that a lot different now being a freelancer or
2: a little bit i mean i just it's just about getting to know people isn't it i mean i think that yeah. you know when is it when we were at rare back in those days it was i was, I was on the banjo team for like those guys were the kind of main team we worked for for the entire for the 12 years that i was there mm. um you know you know you get your mates don't you, you go out and get drunk together and do a lot of stuff together yeah. you, know? you do all the great stuff and it's and you know i think i feel what i feel like that. You just you just mates, aren't you? And you just you know mm. it's, a, it's that kind of unwritten thing that you're all mates together. You're, you're against the world. You, you know it's like it's the, it's like a gang, a, a, a isn't it? in a way? Mm. Um, so you know we had great laugh, all the mickey taking, all that stuff still survives to this day. we have mm. none of us apart from we're old with mortgages mm. and kids now, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know I feel like it's just the same as it was really. Like a lot of those guys are platonic now, and so and still some of the, still a few of them at Rare, you know. So you know, it's, a, it's it's a great to be part of that environment. And Rare was fantastic when I was there. I mean, absolutely mm. loved being in that company. I never thought I'd ever want to leave. Like, from the start, it was, you know, having the Stamper family, it was family-run, you know, mm. Tim and Chris, the brothers were the bosses, you know, Tim's wife was in the office, Tim's sister was in the office, you know, the mum and dad ran the canteen, you know, all that <laughs> stuff, you know, it's old, and the other brother did the, did the grounds, and just all the Stampers. you know, and, and Tim's wife's dad was, you know, what I mean, it was just like family-run company, it was just absolutely brilliant, they treat us so well. Mm. And also, Rare was so special back then, you felt like you, you were just in Disneyland, <laughs> making things you know. so I, I, you know that was a great time for me to be around I just didn't like it when I left I got I'd gone off it you know for various yep. reasons. I mean had mm. left it wasn't the same company that, I, that I felt Yeah, like. yep. Yep. yeah as um, yeah. yeah. You know, but like being freelance you know um I do like being freelance a lot I mean you know the, you know, get that I guess you know you get that thing where it's not as financially stable you could mm. have a crap year you could have a great year you know you don't know do you being a part of as a staff composer, you know you're going to be you're going to be all right. Although I feel like video games is a little bit less stable than it was, and yeah. people, it just takes one bad title and you, sh- and you just close down, right? It's that's that's the way it goes in video games these mm-hmm. days. No one gets a chance to kind of develop anything to be good, or you're dumped. Um, so, but for me personally, working I find I work better as a freelancer because I know mm-hmm. I work best. I'm better in the morning, right? Like court to you know quarter to nine till. One or two in the afternoon is my best time to write. Because In the afternoons, I get a bit sleepy, like we all do, and we just sit there and vegetate, you know. So I like you know to pick my hours. And if I have to work after six at night, whatever, then great. I don't mind because I feel like I could do it again. So, you know, i also feel like I was so grateful for being at Rare because it was a job, right? It was nine till five, so you got to work at nine in the morning and you started writing music at nine o'clock. It wasn't like you had to sit and in a darkened room wait for the hand of the lord to hand you a song and it's <laughs> it wasn't like that you just got, it's the job you just, you just like the just like the programmers just like the artist you start at nine and you get on with it right yeah. so i kind of feel like that's been a great thing for me to have in my life because it, may, it means I'm, I'm very workmanlike. because of course i write music i'll sit down and work at it till i get something i don't get writer's block i might write something that's completely crap but i'll write something you know so hmm. um,
0: so you almost have to go through the nine to five to then be a productive freelancer. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, I don't
2: know. <laughs> I just feel like he has so many composers. Like, oh, I need to sit in a dark room and wait for inspiration at night and yeah. drink. <laughs> just get on with it. You know, just the keyboard's right there. Play the first note, play the second note. Before you know it, you've got the third note, and then you know. If you don't, <laughs> so I kind no, of feel I don't really adhere to that because that's not what I'm like.
0: No, it's a good point. I mean, I find that personally as well. Um, we have a lot of like an iterative process um, in with Melonhead, but all the clients that I work with. And so, w- once I learned that, you know, it's not going to be perfect first iteration or whatever. You just got to make something, send it to them, and then kind of get that feedback, and you can keep building on it. And ninety five percent of the time, you can turn it into something good eventually with enough time.
2: Yeah, um, no, yeah, I totally but, agree with that. I do think that sometimes. I do meet your good composers, who are like, I'm the composer, I know what I'm doing, the creative director's just talking out his ass. sorry, but you know, you know what I mean? He doesn't know what he's talking mm-hmm. about. I'll just say, that's how you're going to get fired, mate. You're going to get fired. <laughs> if you can not tell the creative director what to do, you're just going to get fired. I don't, I don't care if you know if you know what chords are or what anything, anything of, the, of the theories or any of that kind of stuff. No one, no one cares about that. The mm-hmm. creative going to say to you, I don't care what you think about it, mate. I don't, I don't care how good a melody you think it is. I don't like it. And that's it. Mm, you know, right. like, you know, I, I learned that very early on. It's, it's just not worth arguing. Like, I just feel like if if you're a composer that just wants to be, you want to write a symphony or write a pop song, great. That's mm. your thing. You do it. It's up to you. That's fantastic. But the minute you hire yourself out to somebody else that's going to pay you, you just got to do what they want. Otherwise, they're just going to fire you and find there's eight million people stood behind you who want that job right now. You know, you're just going to get fired. It's a stupid thing to do. So, like, and also, I think part about being a composer is just, you just need to be amicable right mm. you know it's not you know if you don't if you didn't like it just write against that again you know i'll change a mm-hmm. bit I, I, honestly I, I think sometimes people think because i've got a little bit of a name i'm going to be a nightmare to work with right <laughs> and the, the, amount, the amount of people that talk to me you know what you're not you really used to work with how did that happen like i said well because just know how it works you know <laughs> i don't want to get fired i want to make the money right i, <laughs> I want to make something good with you yeah. you know you know uh, I, that's that's what you need to do. Need to be doing right. So I feel like people that go the other way, if you're mega famous, like, I don't know, John Williams, perhaps you can, you can do what you like, mm. you mm. know. But the amount of even high-level triple-A Hollywood composers that I've, that I've watched interviewed that, that go through the same thing as we all do, that they write something they don't like it, you write something, you do it again, mm. you do it, you know. I think if, it's just the way it is, and it's just get used to it, that's it. Or stop doing it, do something yeah. else.
1: What's the balance like when you're, say, for example, uh, perfect dark you know you've got a certain there's a certain aesthetic to it and obviously you play it now and the music suits it perfectly um, what's a, the sort of comparison when it's you're coming up with the sort of tune that it that fits within the aesthetic um, and then you know you have the creative director who's saying like, like is the creative director the one that makes the final say on okay this fits with this and this fits with that um, and, and how much of it is ideation from your perspective versus Um, from what they want to see or hear in the game?
2: Well, so, yeah. I mean, so, you know, just like you said, it's like they're going to send you a brief. Mm. When I I was doing Mario Rabbids, you know, David Mm Isoliani, who's a co-director in in, uh, Milan, and also Remy Embryo, who's an audio director in Paris, would send me a brief and it would Mm -hmm. say the mid-boss mayhem tune that everyone seems to like the most at the moment. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. you you need to be like this, and so I'd write. I'd probably I'd probably write thirty bars, thirty-two bars, something like that. Send it up and say, "This is what I reckon it's going to be like." Mm, mm, mm. Like when people work like that, it's great. Yeah, because you can send up a little bit. You don't write a whole five-minute piece of music. And go, I don't like it. Send a little bit in, like you say. You know, I'm in the right direction. If not, what you think? Let me point me in the other direction. Get, mm-hmm. get a yes or no, and off you go. You know, so I like working like that. And I feel like, and I think developers tend to like to work like that as well. They don't mind it. I think, mm-hmm. you know, they'll, they'll say, all right, send me a little bit. But it, it's great for them to have an early input. It just, just doesn't waste any time. So, you know, you know, and also it's storytelling, right? They're going to go, it's yes. a frozen ice, fo- frozen ice castle. And, go, and I'm going to mm-hmm. think about, I've said it before, I've said it a million times, but I'm thinking about Klockenspiel and Chilest and Pizzicato mm-hmm. Strings, spiky, icy noises in my head that yep. fit an ice yep. castle, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know it's, we're all telling stories. You shut your eyes and just, what's it sound like? You know, mm-hmm. touched it before you even touch this, you've got an idea what you're going to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. when you hear of like um you know george lucas he retired but he's like i'm making movies that no one's gonna see um so i'd have to think as a composer you're making music that is just for you is the music that you make for, uh, for you would people be able to recognize that as a grant Kirkhope tune or would it surprise people what you like to play as opposed to what you're known for
2: i think they'd recognize it probably i want to actually written two pieces of music that aren't that i'm Got into a game, you know that. that, that you know, I've, I don't really write music for myself at all. Um, I've written two funny enough trombone concertos, which is a bit bizarre. Uh, <laughs> I've got a mate called Ian Bousfield, who you have known since I was twelve years old, thirteen years old. We played <sighs> together. I feel like that's
0: like, a rite of passage of like uh, composers that have like made it. I'm doing air quotes here. You're like when composers have made it, like I feel like they have to go back and do like a concerto just to like please their <laughs> classical teachers.
2: Or something. Oh, it's bizarre because like Ian is right literally he's the best trombone player in the world, no exaggeration. Well, not exaggeration, but kids. Like he was brilliant then. Like he just got on to be this completely famous thing, and he just he messaged me a while ago and said, you know, why don't you write me a tune? I was like, well, I might as well. I a go. It's called, called Kirkfield, and he's played it. I never got another Kirk Kirkfield. Kirk Feld. Okay, okay. <laughs> F-E-L-D. It's on Spotify. Then, oh, awesome. <laughs> and after, after I did that, I got a call from a guy called Charles Vernon, who's a really famous bass drum trombone player. He's the bass trombone player for the Chicago Symphony Oxford. I was like, Jesus Christ, you know. So he said, Can you write me a piece? So I've just written a piece for him. It's about to come out, you know, it's coming out very soon. So it's like bizarre that I've written two trombones, but that's all I've ever done, right? So I've mostly written stuff that, that goes into games, you know. It's um, the way it is.
1: Yeah. I saw um, recently the uh, GoldenEye sixty four remaster, or, or the HD version, got leaked. Um, did you have any input in that, or any input in remastering any of the audio? Was there any plans to do that um, with the unreleased GoldenEye?
2: No, so that was just getting off. Well, it was, it was in, in progress when I left there in two thousand eight, and there was never any plans to redo the audio. They just oh, okay. All we're going to redo is the look of it. And leave the audio the same as it was.
1: Yep, yep, yep. Oh, I
2: That's a shame, isn't
0: it? That, um uh, I was listening to some of your music on Spotify just before and I found your album called Rejected <laughs> which I don't know if uh, our listeners have seen heard yet, but I recommend checking it out because there's some pretty cool stuff on there. Yeah. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about Rejected?
2: <laughs> so, that I just I, I've you know, I've, I've pitched for so many things that I never get. Like um People think that you know oh yeah you must just get everything all the time it's like that's absolute nonsense like i get nowhere. <laughs> like you know the, the stuff that i don't get far outweighs the stuff that i get by a 10 to one probably more so most of those pieces on that rejected album were for uh, tv shows cartoons that i didn't get or um ones for a game but the rest of it's most old tv mostly tv cartoons and the titles give it away a little bit. I, I, I couldn't. I don't I know if I should really go into specifics about it. It's just. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've pitched for so many Disney. Uh, you know, if living in LA, Disney, um, uh, DreamWorks, uh, Cartoon Network stuff like I've done a ton of pictures and got absolutely. No, and I mean, nowhere. Not even got past the first hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I just thought, why not just stick it out? Because it's just sat on my hard drive, and I just thought. I, I, I mean, I'm not, I wasn't trying to make any money out of it. I just thought people might find it a bit of a laugh. You know. Just <laughs> I think It's it great.
0: There was there was one on there, I think it's called Sucker Punch McTavish or something. Yeah. And I was trying to work out what game this was. It's like Pub Rock or something. Yeah, yeah
2: that was for uh, that was for like a a cartoon show. Uh well yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the game, it was a cartoon show on that one. Right. Yeah. Scottish of course. I'm, I was born in you know, born in Scotland, so I am Scotty. Yeah.
1: What was it like um coming back to work on ukulele and getting the team back together? Was it uh different process this time around, uh, or was it just sort of fitting in like how it was back then? It
2: was exactly the same. Exactly the same. Yeah, the piss-taking was exactly the same. The nickname <laughs> was, uh, was in-jokes were the same, nothing had changed in 18 years, it was, it was like just going second back in time. As I say, apart from like, all a little bit older, wives and yeah. et you know, etc. Like, what was your uh, nickname within uh, Rare? I was always Monkey Boy, Chimposs, Eight Boys. Anything to do with monkeys? That was what I, I thought was a monkey boy. That was me. Always.
1: Why is that? Is there any story
2: behind that? I don't. You know, you know what? I don't really know. <laughs> like, I think years and years. I, I, I have to tell this story years and years ago. When I was a kid, like 14 years of age, um, it, and my hair used to be all swept back at the front like that. And, yeah. that you know? and one of my mates said to me, "You look just like Urko from Planet of the Apes." <laughs> oh. I got that really starts. swept back style yep, yep, yep. in that seventies show, the seventies one. Uh, and so it just kind of stuck and then I told the story, of course, I that was a big mistake cause from that point I was like, Monkey Boy, Simeon, you know, you name it. So, <laughs> that, you know, Monkey Boy.
1: Well, um, did you, uh, what, what would you say sort of heavily influenced your style? Or what, what music did you listen to when you were growing up um, that, you know, either motivated you to get into the, the art or um, sort of plays a little bit of an influence in the music that you make?
2: That's a bit hard, really, because I'm a a big metal fan, right? So, like, my entire Mm year, well, still to this day, you know, I still like metal a lot. So, like, you know, when I was, like, 12 onwards, probably, I started, I'm a classically trained trumpet player, but I'm a self-taught metal guitar player, right? So, you know, I did trumpet because I was good at it, but not particularly I wanted to do it, really. And Mm -hmm. I went to college because I thought, you know, I'd not get a job, et cetera. Um, But I tried to, I was in metal bands for the entire time, really, most of the time. Um, And so, you know, my bands back then were always people, like like Van Halen, Iron Maiden, Judas Mm -hmm. Priest, uh, i was a massive i think my two biggest bands when i was a kid were like queen and AC/DC. yes so that first that i mean that first AC/DC album really taught me to play guitar the high voltage i mean i know in yeah. Australia, it, was, it was a compilation of like more than one album but in the west it was like well you know it was like that that was their proper first album and i loved yeah. it what bonds Scott to death i still love them to this day you know so um that album just opened my eyes to like jesus christ how does angus even play so fast i couldn't believe it then it was like, mm, a, yeah. and then I, my first kind of queen album was, was she heart attack uh, and then I, I kind of went back from then to Queen 2 and Queen 1, but Shear Out was the first <laughs> album that I bought from them. And I played that album until it actually wore out and I bought another one. <laughs>
1: um, but this
2: not Brian Mays. I used to try and play really, really solos and stuff. So those two records really interest me a lot early on. And then I got more heavier stuff like, you know, like I say, like uh, you know, Maiden Priest, uh, Van Halen and all those kind of bands. Men of War. <laughs> I wasn't quite Man of war, no. but I do <laughs> you know actually. Well. Yeah, you you have uh, Van Halen's one of his guitars, don't you? I do, indeed. Yes, I do. That was that that came much. I mean, that was just, just an unbelievable thing that happened. Like later, later in life, to get to that point. That um, yeah. So like, like, that went from that, like Queensrÿche, you know, I like Nightwish now. You know, you know, kind of that like, kind mm-hmm, of. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we did. I played a band called Little Angels, who were quite a big UK rock band, and they. Um, you Know we, they did their own uh, number one album in the UK, um, you know, kind of thing. I played trumpet for them, the, the, me and this guy did the horn section, and we've been mates for years for a played for though I knew them for a, lot, a long time. Um, but we d- ended up doing a, a, a Van Halen tour, support tour, we were the only act, it was like oh, 1992, something somewhere, 91, somewhere it was a right here, right now European tour. So we did oh, yeah. six weeks with Van Halen, which was just amazing to me to like to get to meet Eddie Van Halen, and you know, he was. I know people like to say, but he was a genuinely lovely, warm man. And I really mean mm. that. Like, he, was, he was taking any time to sit and chat with me. You know, me mm. as a guitar player, was like, I'm never going to talk to Eddie Van Halen in my life ever again, probably. Yeah. You know, I need to just get everything out of him that I can right now. <laughs> <laughs> Over these six weeks, just just sat there, listening to him talk, to him play. Because he always had a guitar mm. on. You're like, he was the nicest, most down-to-earth man you could have ever wished mm. to be. Uh, and we got to the, towards the end of the tour, we were playing in Paris before we went back to the UK to play Wembley Arena. And he said to me, Um, I'd got a picture taken. I said, oh, you know, I've got a picture, There's a picture of me with me, him together on my Twitter, you'll see it. And he said, Oh, can you quick we'll with you, Grant. I thought, Oh god, I have not do anything wrong. He took me to this little side room, with me and him, just, just by it. I was like, Oh god, what's gonna happen here? Yeah. You know? <laughs> look, you've like, you know, I've got a guitar for you. I was like, What? Uh-huh.
3: Like,
2: you know, he said, I said, I'd have, I'd have had a plectrum from you, Eddie. And that, that would have been I'd have been I kept that for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, I've got it comfy. it's gonna be at Wembley and all that, and it turned up, you know, like just couldn't believe it. Just the nicest man in the world. Like, mm. you know. He just had no ways and graces, is like, I could tell you so many stories. Like, yeah. I believe, I don't know if this is, this is a right for the air, but like, I remember me and Jim, the keyboard player, we're in the in the toilet, you know, peeing in the in the in the urinal, you know, kind of thing. And someone was in the stall, you know, pooping, you know, and the door opened. He just opened the door, and he just sat there pooping. He said, "Oh, how, how you doing, lad, You know, <laughs> and he just sat there pooping and talking to us, like just didn't care. Yeah. Like, my god, we'd have sat and chatted chat with Eddie. Yeah, like, oh, that's got amazing. You know, just...
0: that, co- that confidence. <laughs> when, you're, wait, when you're a rock star.
2: Yeah, yeah I know, yeah. right? But like, you just, no airs and graces, you know? And also, Eddie's like, Eddie, was, he'd kiss you a lot. Like, I know that sounds bizarre. Like, wow. in, kiss-
0: in what way, Grant?
2: I'm serious. he kiss you on the lips, honestly. Oh, well.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. affectionate, man.
2: Well, yeah, was passionate man. Like, I remember one of the shows it was in Belgium. and I remember me and the drummer, Mark Richardson, who you now plays was Skunk and Nancy. Uh, we were sat, we'd watched the whole show, and we waited backstage just to sort of, say, Great show, guys, like we used to always do every night because we just loved the shows, you know. And he came out to be upset. I'm like, What's wrong and He said, Oh, terrible show tonight, guys. We were like, What? What are you talking about? It was just blew our you know, like we couldn't believe it, you know. He was all oh, you guys said, so I said, kisses both on the lips right there." <laughs> we're like, well, like, Is that kind of, that, you just say, kind of glaze over, like, and we walked back across the car park because the hotel. was across the car park, I mean, I'm silence, and it just been quite silent. And me and like, "God, Eddie's Eddie just kissed us." <laughs> like, you know, like, like, he's just a super nice man. I mean, irrespective of giving me guitar, he was a super, super nice man. So down to earth, like, fantastic.
1: Is it? Would he be um, someone that you'd want to do a, you know, compose something with, or who, who's your sort of idol that you would, um, you know, want to work on a piece of music with, if you could collaborate right. with someone that is sort of out there?
2: Well, Eddie's just passed away. Like, I don't maybe you mm. don't know that. He's just mm. passed away like yeah, couple, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ago, I actually had a, little, a brief chat with his, his son Wolf on there on Twitter. Mm. It was very. Uh, it took, I a messaged to say, by the way, Wolf. You know, just to let mm. you know, you know, I think not you saw the tweet, but I sort of said to him, you know, your dad gave me guitar back then. He, he really did change my life. He was mm. he, that yeah. was six mm. weeks, and, and Wolf replied, said, well, I can't believe it. Bantergazoo changed my life. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that. <laughs> yeah. Oh <laughs> wow. wow, man. In my mind, I was in tears. Full, team, circle. Right? Yeah, full yeah. circle. Yeah. Full circle. Yeah. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. um so you know right i've never really read, oh, the only person i've ever actually written with in my entire career is danny baron mm-hmm. and me and danny did desktop, desktop dungeons together I and mean, we actually worked on each other's those pieces i've never done that before like when i write a again with somebody else we just do our and think most of the time mm-hmm. I hope it meets up so. so i'd love to just sit and watch john williams write some music i mean i'd love <laughs> to uh because he's my absolute hero you know um mm-hmm but I wouldn't like to write with him because I'm useless compared to him, you know, so.
3: I... have <laughs> got to think with, um, sorry, with you saying for you're a metal fan, that um, there was maybe a creative outlet with the frigate track from um, Goldeneye, like with the, with the guitars. My dad used to do the, the to me. Just, <laughs> when I was a kid, it used to just make me laugh. We didn't know what it was, right. but that, that would have to have been like a good little creative outlet because, you know, James Bond spied music and stuff, and then suddenly you got this heavy rock yeah. On a frigate ship for some reason.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, I think when I went to work at Rare 95, like, I was playing a band up to that point, right? So I was long-air, I was Mr. Metal, and I was the only long haired guy there. I so thought I was a bit of um, You know, so, like, you know, so I used all the metal influences in, in the Gold Ride track, you know, in the Gold Ride music that I wrote. Um, and frigate, especially it's my faith no more, you know, We Care A Lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> we Care A Lot. That was like a drum And then I stuck the Duran Duran bit from View to a Kill over the top. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's why I did it right so, uh, so you know metal everywhere really um, and also one of the the track for the cradle actually is I've got a YouTube channel that I never use right but there's a track on if you go to the YouTube channel there's three tracks by a band called Cacophony which is kind of my old metal band um, and there's a track there called Absolution or No Absolution and the guitar riff from that track is a cr- the track, the riff that I used in Cradle if you to listen to the most straight away. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, that do 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 It's like a metal riff, you know.
3: Yeah.
2: So, so, I mean, uh, yeah, sorry. No, 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 no like, you know, metal, it, you know, I'm a metal fan, so it's going to creep into the
3: music no matter mm, what. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely the... Um, it just reminded me when you were saying the relationship with um, Van Halen and his son, and then, you know, uh, I've seen a track of... If there's a video, I think, of you playing with your son... And then I'll get messages from my dad, like just being at work and he'll hear like doors open and close in the stairwell. And he's like, it sounds like Goldeneye. <laughs> and I'm like, it's so good like that. But yeah, there's a clip of you and your son playing like a metal track together.
2: Right. That's not my son. My son doesn't play anything. Oh, <laughs> but, oh I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's Jules, it's Jules Conroy. Family Jules. Yeah. So that's that's yeah. him. So we're mates. And he's been trying to get me playing a track for ages. He said, "Look, and he finally put together Grunty's Final Battle and we did it outside my house at the back of here. Mm. And he said to me, come on. And I finally got around to doing it. So, I mean, he's a fantastic player. Like, he just left me in the dust, you know. Um, mm. but it was fun to do. Uh, so, yeah, I had to practice a bit to get that. that and I had to do it in beats because I was so crap, really. I hadn't played guitar for such a long time. Um, mm. But that turned out great. It was a great, good fun to do.
1: You had to practice, like, you know, looking cool in front of your pool to, to <laughs> do it as
2: well. I know, I know. Because yours are so good, Ryan. I'm, I was like, yeah. you know. <laughs>
1: Uh, what you know? Actually, I want to ask you: What sort of tools did you use when you actually composed Goldeneye? Because I know there's there's an uncompressed version of um, Goldeneye on YouTube that I always listen to. Um, it, was it? You know, what was the process of going from making it and then putting it into this small cartridge with such limited memory?
2: Yeah. So I think sometimes people get confused about compression on video games. I don't think they're mm-hmm. quite. Confused. Like some of the people think you write the track. then you Yeah. Keep- that's- you can press yeah. it like 3 and put it in the game like you, you know yeah. that. you got it you, you, that's not how it works yeah, so you got, yeah. you got game guys you know how it works so um i wrote like those six tracks it's like six tracks that are, that are yeah. all quality i was waiting for a, for a dev kit to turn up i didn't have a dev kit at the time because uh, uh, the n64 circuit board sat inside the silicon graphics indie dev machine they were really yeah. they, were, they were the computer of the day they were super pricey like all the special effects in hollywood were on sgi machines you know so it was yeah. super expensive like it was kind of it was kind of quite primitive for companies to work on the Institute 4 because you had to get a dev a, a dev kick. It was a lot, like 20 grand a good. Mm-hmm. So, um, w- so I wrote six tracks while I was waiting for that to turn up. And then, then I, I was like, oh, right, now I'll put the machine in. Green, no, be in there. And Greg Norgate, we'd been there while I said, ah, oh, now it work like that. <laughs> you've, got to, yeah. you've got to take it to bits and get every instrument, crunch it down, resample it. I was like, oh, I'll see it back. <laughs> Yeah,
0: because each sound is uh, triggered from the game live, isn't it?
2: Right, or so of, you, yeah. you make it your little MIDI orchestra or MIDI sound set. It sits on the cartridge and then yeah. it, 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 you put in a, a MIDI file and, the, and the, the game plays the MIDI file. and The MIDI file on each track's got a program number so it pulls the instrument that you're going yes. to, you like, you know, track, you know, program number 20 is a guitar or whatever it is. It, so that's yeah, it's it's all in real time. But because GoldenEye was, was the first, one of the early games in the 64, it's always the same with Nintendo. The early games get got, got a much smaller memory space, like an 8 yep. megabit, mm. I think. And it got to be bigger as the games that went on, but right at the start, so it's even worse. Like at that point, yeah. we we're even compressing MIDI files. You know how to ask smaller MIDI files, right? It's like it's tiny. Mm, yeah. So even to the point of where, if you would got a drum pattern that was, that was going do, k- do 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 k- do 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 through the entire track, you'd write one bar of it. You'd put loop points at, at, at the right. end of the bar, and you'd give it a note and say repeat five times, just to save those extra little bits of information. I mean, it's so tiny. Like, yeah. why You wouldn't, you wouldn't care. That's so small. Mm. So like, you know, a lot of the instruments were like. There was 16 kilohertz or less nothing was above that so like you think 44.1 is mm. quality, right like it was at least 16 and you know base anything that was basic was like eight kilohertz so you could get it in there and yeah. mm. well, they're all 16 bit but they're all low down sample quality so we'd like we'd, we'd get the we'd get the, the instrument whatever it was would would resample it down would add then i trying try and add back in some high-end aq because it was just going you know like that so you got, mm. you got high end because you lost all the all the sample rate uh and then Compress it and then stick it into the into the machine, you know, so things were super, super tiny. Uh, to the point where, you know, we had to loop symbols because having a symbol going with a long decay, mm. it was just far too, so you had to kind of go, get the attack, and yeah. loop it, and attack, which is awful. So it'd go, and then add, add an envelope to it, so you'd go.
0: Just to get that whole feeling of it fading out kind of thing.
2: The sound bloody awful, because that's all you could do with it, so, so, yeah.
0: so you were quite involved in the actual implementation of the music, then?
2: Yes, the- yeah, we entered everything ourselves. So, like you know, we'd, we'd, we'd enter all the sounds. You'd compre- you put them into these big long text files to be a line of text that would give the key mapping and the pitch and all that stuff. You know, you'd do that, and then wow. you you'd compi- would compile it and add it into the game. So, you know, we put pretty hands on back then. Is yeah.
1: that is that stuff you had to learn on the job, or was that something that you knew before um, rare?
2: No, it was definitely on the job because it wasn't, yeah. it was, was proprietary. There was no yeah. midway, there was no like, F mod or Y. So yep, yep, F, yep, yep, It was just yep.
1: proprietary. Yeah. Wow, that's insane. Is there any music that um, you created that you sort of, or, or something that you were most proud of that you, sh- you wish people heard more, but it was in your sort of hidden areas in, you know, in games and that sort of yeah. stuff? Because you know, obviously that's how some of those games were back then.
2: Yeah, I know. But and even so, like even to this day, you know, if you get if, if you do a work in a game, it doesn't get very popular. People don't hear it. They just mm. don't. People don't okay. generally. I really find that people don't really search through the stuff of mine that they don't know. Mm. Like having Spotify is handy now because it can sort of oh that like you'd find that that, that rejected album. It's like yeah. you know people go oh, I don't know what that is or the Kingdom of Amal or DLC tracks or you know things like that that they didn't probably know those there you know that's mm-hmm. so quite good. There's nothing much that I wrote. I don't have an awful lot that I write that, j- that I don't get, doesn't get used. I don't have a lot of stuff laying over apart from the stuff that I pitch for I never get. I have plenty of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> games-wise, I've not got that much that's kind of lying about, not doing anything.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. When you're working on games or when you've worked on games that are already IPs such as uh, James Bond and, I mean, I think you did Star Fox Adventures and Donkey Kong no, and I stuff.
2: Didn't, I didn't do that. I did Star Fox.
0: Oh, you didn't? Oh, well, Wikipedia is a filthy liar then.
2: I played guitar on it, but Dave liked that. I played a bit of guitar on it, but Dave didn't touch something.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Yep. Um, but so when you've gone onto one of those IPs that already exist, have you gone and looked at, you know, the music that's already there much for inspiration? Or have you gone, I want to create
2: something new? I think when it came to GoldenEye, like, you know, people of my age, you know, when I, when I was a kid, like, the Gold, if, if a James Bond movie came out, it was the best movie of the year, with the best effects, the best mm-hmm. John Barry music it was just amazing, like, you know, all that stuff. Do, so getting to do GoldenEye, was like, I can't believe it, I was super excited. Yeah. So I, I knew, you know, I knew the soundtrack really already, you know. I mean, yeah. uh, we, we bought a double CD, had all the pop songs that preceded the movies, we had all that as well to listen to, you know, so that was great. But, like, doing something like Mary Plus Rabbits, um, you know, that was... Like equal parts exciting to equal parts yeah. terrifying because, mm. you know, you know, get, you know, I think at that point I was the only Western composer that ever worked in a Mario game, you know what I mean? It's like, it, that's ridiculous, you know. Koji Kondo is a master, he's a legend, right? He's, a, he's the Jedi Master, we just Padawans, right? You know, <laughs> um, you know. to think that he would listen to the music that I wrote and thinking, you oh, it's a bit not that good or, you know, <laughs> you know, Aww. it's a bit scary. So that was super scary, but exciting to do it, you know. Mm. So, and I've played Mario games, so, you know, and, and you know, I got to rearrange uh the castle theme from Mario 64, you know, mm. which was oh, yeah. I loved Mario 64, it's probably my favourite mm. Mario. Because I just started at rare, we all got into you know, that's the first game we all got, we all loved it. Like it you know, it was just amazing. And so to get the chance to rearrange that, you like, know, it was just like fantastic. And I was worried about thinking, oh god he's gonna hate it or they're gonna moan at me for being rubbish, you know, kind of thing. Um so I kinda of I kind of split it into bits, a bit of him, a bit of me, a bit of him, a bit of me. Uh it all turned out great you know I know they liked it in Nintendo um, but you know that's you know that's one of those moments that I think I will remember for the rest of my life the fact that mm-hmm. I got to work in a Mario game you know that's just amazing and then doing the Super Smash Brothers thing with Banjo that was also yeah. one of those things that you can't believe that they asked you to do it because you know on the Smash Brothers they always use the Japanese guys to do their re- remixes because they're all fantastic mm-hmm. the Japanese guys are just brilliant at it why would you need me to do it I, you know, <laughs> you've got those fantastic people over there that can just do it in a sleep you don't need to, do really <laughs> much, really much, you know. Um, that was equally, you know, and also the fact it was banjo and the fact when it came up, the, the reactions on the the, the video, people went absolutely crazy. You know, like it was, everyone's in tears. I was in tears. Like yeah. like, yeah. I never, I never really expected that massive outpouring of emotion. when people saw, it. and it was, it was so heartwarming and humbling. Mm. You know, to, to them to ask me to do a tune, but never mind that. If, even if I didn't do a tune, but like just to see people's. They were genuinely touched yeah. by that character turning up in Smash. And it's, 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 that's, that's the thing about games, right? That is, that is fantastic to see those reactions and those kids crying and whatever. And I'm, you know, we're all crying together. Just yeah. <laughs> absolutely fantastic. You, you, you know, those moments are going to be parts of my life I'll never forget, you know.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It was the best uh, troll, the announcement ad when it showed the, the, uh, the, it's it duck called? hunt. Duck hunt. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. That's right. I had literal goosebumps like after that. Like it was uh, amazing. Like,
2: uh, like when the when the jiggy jumped across the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, what was that? You know, like you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing.
0: That's an
3: important thing, isn't it? Like you have to, like you have to be a fan of what you're making. Like, it's because, like, even if, if the audience you're making it for doesn't know music or doesn't know games, they're going to tell that you're not a fan or mm. it would carry differently.
2: Yeah, I've I, I, told about, about Mario Rabbids I really believe in. Like, when the, when the game, game got leaked a bit before it came out, and everyone was like, What Mario Rabbids? That's going to be a disaster. Mm. And it really <laughs> just aren't the team. But we all, you know, when I first heard about it, I was like, That sounds like a weird combination, but it works so fantastically well because mm. the Rabbids are crazy. You know, they're just like they're, like, they're like the Minions, really, like the Peter the yeah. Minions, they're crazy, yeah. and they're just, you know, they're just, just stupid, like, you know, and like, it just works, the comedy's great, you've got Princess Peach and little Rabid Peach there, they're a bit yeah. jealous about Mario, it's just, yeah. all you know, and the reason for that is, you know, the, Ubisoft Milan and Paris, who worked, worked it together, they, especially Milan, they've got such a Nintendo passion at that company.
1: Yeah. They mm-hmm.
2: absolutely, uh, you know, worship what everything Nintendo does, and it really bled into the game, and that, mm-hmm. like you say, it's, that's not something you can manufacture. That has mm. to be in your heart, or you you have to feel that passion, like, like like the way Banjo was back then, the team passion, just that all the stupid sense of humour we had, and that kind of nonsense, we put, that just bled into the game, right? They made it funny and all that stuff at the same time. That's the same with Mario Rabbids. That team believed in it so much, and you know loves Nintendo so much. They just mm. they were all feeling like I was feeling precious about writing the music. Like you want to be, you want to make sure that you don't ruin something that's so fantastic. So that that just you can't manufacture that. You've either, you you either feel it or you don't. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I think one thing that helps uh, fans connect with your music so well is that um, I found when listening to your music there's often a lot of strong themes motifs and stuff like that I'm going to have to throw in some music terminology <laughs> here because that's the only reason I've been brought onto the podcast <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he's the
0: music but, guy yeah. uh, but I think it sounds like there's strong melodies strong themes there, is that something that you find you naturally do or is that something you consciously try to put into everything you do
2: I think both of that, actually. I think I do naturally do it. I do really try. Like, for me, you know, this is my kind of personal bugbear about music in general, in movies and games these days. Um, less so games, but more so movies. I kind of feel like that old, massive theme thing is just kind of dying out a little bit. And, I, you mm. know, I really miss that. Maybe it's just I'm an older guy and I like it the way it was, you know, it's better in my day, et cetera, you know. And the young guys don't care about it. You're young guys, I do so, But, I mean, but I, mean <laughs> I really miss that, Darth Vader, or Luke's theme, or Harry Potter, or whatever it is, or you know, Back to the Future, or those great themes that you can't forget for the rest of your life, right? You know, like why? Why is that dying out? Why is that not happening anymore? It just pisses me off to the to beyond distraction. Like um, it just, I just don't understand it. I, I, I kind of feel like all this ambient stuff, and even not even so much like you go see a big giant blockbuster these days. The score's massive and epic and fantastic, but it's completely unremarkable. You walk out mm. that day, you forget, you can't remember a note of it. Mm. You know, like, I don't like that. Like, I kind of feel like, there's that video on YouTube somewhere where it's the guy walking around the street with a microphone saying, can you sing me Harry Potter? Can you sing me Star Wars? Can you sing mm. me Endemory Jones? And, and then he goes, can you sing me Spider-Man? No. Can you yeah. sing,
1: yeah.
2: you know, any of the big Marvel franchises? No mm. one can remember a note of it. Like, mm. that Marvel franchise is a billion-dollar gigantic mm. behemoth, and you can't remember mm. a big note of the themes. Like, that's disgraceful, apart from... I will say, I think the Avengers theme tune is super strong. Yeah, 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 it is. And why is that? Because Alan Silvestri, is an old-school an old composer, knows, yep. did Back to the Future, and God, and God knows everything else, and knows how to write a bloody good tune. Like, why, you know, why is that? If it was Marvel, yeah. I'd be like, you need a great theme for every single bloody character on this. Why why isn't it there? You know, yeah. so that really just pissed me off. And funny enough, I there's a director over here called... Um, uh Jordan V O G T Vogt, I mean, I've mm-hmm. i forgot his last name, I can't remember why, I'm just completely blank. And he did that movie, uh King Kong, uh, Skull Island. Uh-huh, yeah. And we yep. kind, of, kind of made friends a little bit on on Twitter. And he just said we just, just I've just exchanged a message with him and said, Oh, by the way, you know, I'll love your movies, etc. And he was just sort of saying he sort of said, Yeah, nice to you know, you know, I'm a big fan, etc. you know, kind of thing. But he sort of said, you know, why are the tunes and movies not <laughs> are in video games? And I said Christ, I, don't, I really <laughs> don't know why. <laughs> he's, he's a young director, 30-something on the way up, you know, like, he's making big movies now. Yeah. He's the director on the Metal Gear Solid movie. So it's so nice mm. to hear people like that who are going to be the, the, the stars of tomorrow or even so much these years already, like, talk like that. Because I'm sick mm. and tired of, like, not hearing bloody tunes and why, why is that? Why do not yeah. understand that? Yeah. And, and I, I kind of feel like it's hip to maybe not do it in mm. directors, yeah. right? But the average man, I, can't, I believe the average man on the street or woman on the street who's gone to see, when you're walking out the theatre, what's in a movie, you're humming the tune to yourself as you go out the door. You bring, it's bringing the movie back to you, all the bits that you remember. it all comes back like, for God's sake, why wouldn't you want to do that?
0: It's a good point. I mean, I may be wrong with this, but I feel like there's a, more of an emphasis on the actual sound design now, in even in music rather than the core melodies and stuff like that. Um, and I've, I'm hearing that in pop music as well, kind of across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's definitely since, you know, electronic uh, digital audio workstations have become so accessible and everything, um, you can make any sound in the world. Possibly people are exploring that at the moment. So you're saying it's more like formulaic or something? Not formulaic. It's more about, um, I mean, I find this when I'm working with clients that often I'll get um, feedback based on the sounds that I use, like instruments I choose and things like that, Mm -hmm. rather than melodies, um, specific things like that. Which is, isn't good or bad, uh, but it's definitely a trend that people seem to be exploring at the moment. Yeah. And and, well, but I think you're completely right, Grant. It's so important that we don't forget you know, how powerful motifs and themes can be. Because yeah. they really can be so emotionally powerful.
2: And also, I, I do feel like because th- everything is so powerful these days, you can put one thing on the keyboard with a synth, a synth patch and it sounds amazing by itself, right? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. when I started, you couldn't do that. Cause you well, you could do it, but you couldn't put it in the game because you had no space, right? So a lot of the guys that I know from back then know how to write a good tune. That's all you had. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Get a set of chords, a decent tune, and cross your fingers, hope for the best. Right? That was all you had, right? So I kind of feel like it's too easy to create something that sounds unbelievable, Mm -hmm. but there's no substance to it. It's like it's just superficial, you know. So I just feel like that—that is—that's how, in some respects, half the problem. You can make something sound fantastic without really doing anything. Do you You think the
1: limit? Do you think the limitation then almost? Incentivized you to uh, to have to write just good, short, concise, you know, music that is memorable, as opposed to now, like you mentioned, you can create anything. It can be, it can be, you have no limitations. Do you think that played a part in, in, in having that, that iconic sound back then as well?
2: No, I do. I mean, I think it makes you be more creative. You got to think outside the mm. box, and I hate that phrase, but you know, you mm. got to, you know, it's like you just you've got to work with what you've got. There's no like when mm-hmm. I did my first game on the Game Boy, you have got three channels and a noise channel. And each channel plays one note each. And that's it. It's monophonic. So, like, you have yeah. a, a note for the me- that's a melody, a note that implies a harmony, a note for the bass. And then the third, the fourth channels like, just noises for effects and, like, drum <laughs> noises, like, you know. So, and I, it, when I first did that, I thought, oh, God, I'm going to hate this. But I really enjoyed it in the end, you know, because it makes you try to get stuff like the thing that you, did, you didn't know it could do. And so I really feel like I've, I really value those days of me writing that stuff. Because, you know, I feel like it's, it cemented like a, that melody, in my, in, making melodies in my head forevermore. You know? So I truly believe that melody is going to make a big return. I feel like the older directors, mm-hmm. who are perhaps thinking along those, the, the, the newer guys are like big video games players, like the, the, they all are, who are all, you know, listen to Zelda, listen to all those great tunes that you can remember. Like there's so many, so, much, so much great melody writing, in, especially Nintendo, but like everywhere, you know, like people really like that. And, like, you have got video games concerts now and they're sold out and all that stuff, like, because mm-hmm. they like the bloody tunes, right? You know, how many times is there an ambient track at number one? You know, I don't think there's ever been an ambient, you know, mm-hmm. Lady Gaga, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right ambient, yeah. she doesn't write ambient. She writes bloody good melodies with catchy mm-hmm. tunes of Aaron Grande or, or any, any of these pop stars, you know. Well, I'm yeah. not her, sure, but, like, you know, a lot of the people write a bloody really good tune that's got hook to it. And everyone's right like, down, down the street singing it to themselves when they go to work with <laughs> you know,
0: like... I, I think we're going to have to interview Brian Eno after this and <laughs> see what he says about that.
2: <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not saying that you, don't, you want Wall to Melody by any means, but mm. Star Wars would be half the movie without those things.
1: Indiana yeah. yeah. Jones yeah. would be
2: half the movie without those things. The, the Avengers would be half the movie without Alan Sylvester's things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they contribute such a lot. And it's just like... You can sometimes I've done, I'm doing a movie. You know, working on something with Tuffet out of You sometimes get the director saying it kind of that kind of detracts from the scene. I'm a bit like, look, if the music detracts from the bloody scene, you need to write a better scene, mate. Yeah. <laughs>
3: you
2: know I mean? it's like, it's just a tune, right? it's distracting from the action, for God's sake, you know, yeah. people are daft. They're watching it, They're not you know, forgot, you know. Yeah. Anyway, right. I guess that's, it's my personal bee in my personal bonnet.
1: That's think. that's when you that's when you lose the job on the yeah. on the film. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. See, I'll touch t- the melody. Out, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Maybe maybe that's another aspect of what it is. It's that it's now easier for anyone to become a director. So like cuz you mentioned uh, Star Wars wouldn't be it without the music. And then like you hear that um George Lucas during the first movie didn't want original music. He was just going to go with orchestral pieces that already exist and then I don't know if it's his wife or someone on the set was just like, "Are you mad? Like this is your chance to make something." So he's that's an example of he was surrounded by the right people at the right time to say, no, you need to do this. So maybe because it's easier to be a director now, I mean, everyone carries a camera in their pocket, uh, not saying they're making blockbusters on iPhones, um, but all that knowledge is getting pushed by the wayside because they're just, they're going after their vision and they're not letting in outside Mm. thoughts.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's possible to to make a great movie without great music. It's it's completely possible, you know, Mm. of course it is. But I just feel like it adds such a lot on top if you get that right. Mm. you know just think of the, the really great movies that they've all got great tunes right mm. i mean they yeah. have. like the real the, the real greats whatever they are like they just they've all got great bloody tunes like i like guess
1: yeah as soon as you think back to the future there's a, there's just the tune straight ahead. i was gonna yeah. bring that up too
0: because yeah. I, I rewatched it again actually so um our local drive-in movie cinema could open for like one day during the whole COVID lockdown yeah. or whatever it was yeah. um and they showed back to the future yeah and listening to that again, I realized uh, there was a thing every time Marty shows the picture oh, where they, his, his yeah, family yeah. members, him, they've, they've got like the charms or whatever that yeah, play. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's like, so, you, don't, you don't even notice that first watch, yeah. but it's really, it's that whole thematic thing again. Yeah. It yeah, really that, adds to it. Yeah,
2: it's that little kind of C major, F sharp major. It's like, try thing. Right, It's, it's not, yeah. that's not, not that key, but it's that what it is. You know, mm-hmm. I, I make that for banjo you know, but I mean, I feel like yeah. those little bits they're just spectacularly good, right? They just make it go, oh, it just it's a magic in it, isn't it? It's magical. Mm-hmm. Like you know Yeah so much. You know, like you know, I'm a massive John John Williams, fan, I know, but I mean like Harry Potter, like you only got to hear da 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 da, da and you but you yeah. don't really hear that that's it, you, you that's yeah. it, like, you know you are straight away. Like, why is that not done? You know.
3: I get that with the the trill in Click Clock Wood. Yeah. Every time I will hear that in my head, that it's my safe space that song.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't—I don't put myself quite in the same bracket as John Williams, but it's nice to hear.
3: Uh, <laughs> well, that's it. When you're, when you, because your uh, your fan base now, like people our age, you know, they grew up with it, so they wouldn't know John Williams from Grant Kirkhope and stuff. They're just like, I like this, you know. It's mm-hmm. and then you all just like, you're like hot magma at the start, and you're all solidified together, and <laughs> you're now just part of it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, must admit, I do think people's music tastes have become way more eclectic than they used to be. Um, mm-hmm. My son's eighteen, right? Um, uh, you know, it was a big player, of course, but his playlist doesn't have anything any popular music in it at all. It's just games music. Like mm, that's really? that's incredible. Like if you think about that's the thing. Now all his friends are the same. You know, mm. my daughter it, it is more of a pop kind of pop, you know, popular music fan, whatever you want to call that. Um, she's like 15, he's 18. Um, but like you know, his playlist is only video game music. Like that's yeah. amazing. You know, when you think yeah. back to when I was a kid, you know, it was like you bought your albums and all that. You know, like to this day, people have got Metallica next to. Lady Gaga next to me or I don't know, somebody else, you know what yeah. I mean? On, on the playlist, because you know? people just pick bits up, you pick it, bits up that you like, don't you? And you just put it yeah. all together, that's your thing, right? You know, I think that's fantastic. And the fact yeah. you've know, like, got you know, I truly believe that video game music will be the casting music of the future. I really yeah. believe. Like, I really think that video game music has reintroduced generations to just purely instrumental music all over again. Like, I feel yeah, like was, you know, there's no vocals on it. It's like, it like yeah, yeah. when I first went to work at Rare, because I've been playing in bands, I was like, hang on a minute, there's no, there's no one to, I didn't turn a singer to sing, the, to sing the tune. I was like, what do I do, you know? Oh, I'll use something else, you know? So, yeah. I feel like that's a great thing that people just will, will listen to instrumental music now without any vocals on it, because they've heard video games a million times, and they're used to it, and they may listen to a bit of Beethoven, or a bit of Stravinsky, or I, I don't know, yeah, it has yeah. got a tune, they know it's got a tune, I quite, you know, they can recognise it, and 'Cause it's got a tune they can they can they can, it's not because it's not just some kinda of wacky shit going on. It's got yeah. a tune at the top. They can equally go, Oh, that's a tune like my video game tune. Maybe the ears get open to something else, you know. Mm-hmm. I really feel like that I really feel that that whole instrumental thing is it's it's changed. People have are reacquainted themselves with that.
0: Yeah. it's interesting you say that. Our so our local uh, classical FM radio station has cottoned onto that, and they've started doing one hour per week. I think it is, oh, really. which is video game special. Oh. And they've got they've got game composers that do um, oh, awesome. like interviews, and they play which channel? Um, uh, classic Event, Classic oh. FM. It's A- ABC oh. Radio, I believe. Oh wow! So if I'm wrong, radio. if I'm wrong, let's edit that out. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so yeah, it's good that they're starting to see that, and I think the classical. Uh, scene are uh, realizing, all right, this is our chance to stay relevant mm. in like mainstream, yeah, exactly. sort of mainstream.
2: Yeah, and I think also I mean, that Tusk and them in the UK did the same did the same thing, right? Um, yeah. And BBC Radio Three, which is like that's amazing, like they're they're super not like that at all, and they started their a I don't know, video game show because because the viewing figures, this listening figures, go at that hour hour mm. I think it's massive like people tuning in for that hour. They're not daft, you know. Mm. Um, and I do think like Tusk and them in the UK would do they do that. Every year, it's about now. Actually, they do this uh, the 300 Hall of Hall of Fame. Like this, mm. really, and like I, I got voted in quite a few times. Yeah, awesome, uh, you know, awesome. I got to like, number twelve for the game. Oh wow. It was, I, it was like, me uh, Nobuo Yamatsu for Final Fantasy, yeah. and somebody else. God, who's the other ones. There's three which used to always get voted in. Not so much now, but it's a kind of couple of years where we got, we got super high. I couldn't believe it. Yamatsu was in the top ten. I was like number twelve. I was like, Jesus Christ! I like all the Tesla fans. <laughs> What's this crap? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, they're listening
0: to the Banjo-Kazooie soundtrack and they're going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. this is classical music now. Yeah, yeah
2: but yeah. they always well, use nuts and bolts because that's proper orchestra, right? So I guess... Yeah, yeah, they, yeah that's they, true. they won't play yeah. anything that isn't orchestral. I think it's fine, Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. I feel like because they love the controversy because it got them in the news, right? Classic fm got video games and computers yeah. and all that stuff. Oh, everyone so, wins then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so they're not stupid, you know? And I mean, and I do feel like there's plenty of music that is very classical in video game music. Plenty, like even mm. when I wrote that Vida Pinata stuff, I'd say that's pretty classical, really. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know. I think that classical music, probably you, you like the you like the greats and all that. Like, you know, realize that they're not going to write any more music. They're all dead. They're, yeah. they're, not, they're, not, they're not writing anything, anything new, but we mm. are. And some yeah. some of the stuff that we write is valid. It, I'm not we're next to Mozart or whatever, but you know. But I'm just saying that there's plenty of great orchestral music out there video games, it easily fit into those slots and um, you, you could enjoy it, it's not crap, you know.
3: And now that it's a, it's a way, like listening to the music, the game music isn't subject to just playing the game like, um, I'm not sure if you know about the, I don't know what you call it like a cultural phenomenon of lo-fi, like all right. these YouTube channels that pop up, they're just live stream lo-fi tracks lo-fi, over. Lo-fi hip-hop it hip-hop, is. yeah. yeah. So it's,
0: it's kind of like I don't know if you listen to much trip-hop in the late nineties. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just, this like
3: landscape-y kind of music, but everyone uses it. No, everyone, people you see in the live chat, they're basically either studying, trying to work, like they're doing it alongside it, which I think has a parallel to video games cause it requires the player to concentrate. So it needs the music to accommodate that. But it's a lot of people who seem really stressed out, you know, and they're using this as a escape. Um, and I think there's a, there's a parallel with video game music. It's, it's not now, I don't have to boot up the N64 to listen to Benjo Kazooie, I can, you know, get it by <laughs> any means, well, you know, and and relive that experience. Yeah. yeah. Right? While I'm doing a stressful thing, like studying for year 12 or exams. <laughs> yeah.
2: Or... yeah, I totally get that. And I think my daughter, she, I'd say she's 15. She listens to the Minecraft, the Minecraft stuff. It's super relaxing, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Daniel did a great job of that music, you know, like, it's like, um, you know, it's, it's a thing, right? I think you're right. I think people, I just think it's, it's as I said before, it's reintroduce really people to instrumental music all over, the, all over, the, across the board, right? Because so, I think you can find anything you want in video games, somewhere there's metal, there's everything, orchestral, you name it. There's from you know, from all sizes of the spectrum, you know, I think that's a, it's a fantastic thing.
0: Mm. I was wondering if I could throw in a question, um, sort of related, uh, but talking about Banjo-Kazoo again, just because I was, I was talking to a friend last night, a fellow composer, Dakota, uh, Sove, I think is how you say his last name. I sort of suave. Yeah, Sovay. <laughs> um, and he really respects your work. And he was wondering um, with, with games like Banjo Kazooie and Ukulele, where you have a lot more of the kind of upbeat styles, um, as opposed to, you know, when you've worked on World of Warcraft um, and those styles, um, are there certain either inspirations that you looked at beforehand? Or certain music theories, or anything that you kind of look to to help you kind of really nail that playful aesthetic?
2: I think for Banjo Kazooie, like at that, that time, I was really massive Danny Ockham, and I still think it's fantastic to this day. He's pretty, mm-hmm. pretty but um, so I was trying to think of a way, because, you know, we were, we were trying to take on Mario 64, that was our goal to try and beat that game, right? You know, even mm. that's fantastic. and fantastic. Like, you know, Nintendo write that kind of poppy jazz style. That's from, it's it's really good, and they're really good at it, and I'm really bad at that kind of style of music. I thought, I'd, I'd be, if I tried to copy that, it would be awful. So I try mm. to find something that I could that could be my take on that platforming thing. So the first piece I actually wrote for Banjo-Gazooie was actually Click-Clock Woods, the spring version.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> yes.
2: And that's only because I was trying to write something jolly that I thought was a general platform piece. It wasn't, it wasn't there was no level at that time. And I just, yeah. that's, that's the first, they said, Tim Stamper and Greg Mail said to me, right, dreams over you, i've been at the company very long right it's something you think is going to be appropriate for a, for a platform game i was like oh god i have to try and write, find something to do you know so that i wrote that piece of music first uh, and then then the game started proper and i went back to doing you know and so i was trying initially I was, when i got to Mad monster mansion i'd written two different tunes for mumbo's mountain and the treasure trove at the start they were different to what's in the game and um I got to my, my master mansion, and I, I was trying to think of a way to use dark harmonies, but not scare the kids, you know.
0: Ah,
2: yes. Yeah. So, I, I was listening to Beetlejuice, uh, that, that, yeah. that, you know, and that's got that umpa 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 in it. Okay. With dark harmony. I thought, and so I saw kind of my little light bulb, went, and I went, oh, so that's how you do it. You can have as dark a cause as you want, but it's quite mm. a jolly rhythm, and that people don't, it's not that scary for the kids, right, <laughs> but it makes it sound dark. Yeah. So, I kind of stole one of his chord sequences from him. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, Batman. look, we all do it. We just yeah. don't yeah, yeah. say <laughs> it. Yeah,
2: exactly. So, because at that time, I, I, Batman was the first orchestral soundtrack I think I bought apart from Star Wars. Mm. That first Batman movie, I just, it just blew me out the window. I couldn't believe how fantastic it was. The music was just unbelievably fantastic. And that initial Batman motif, just, you know, just amazing. Mm. So, I kind of nicked bits of Batman with the umpire. And that, yep. that became my Monster Mansion, right? So I thought, oh this is this is working out really great. So then I went back and went, Oh, I need to find something also he used a bit few tritones in, in uh, Beetlejuice. Yeah. I was like, Oh, that sounds you know, like so I went back to, to Mumbos Mountain and thought I need to redo this and I yep. and then I hit on the old whole tritone thing and that this was the entire game then it was just tritones everywhere, right? So um that's how it, and I kind of looked at the tritone as being, yeah, you know, the tritone's the furthest point from, the, you know, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an octave scale, the tritone's the furthest point away, right? So I kind of went banjo as one. The the, the personalities are opposite. Banjo's a bit of thick, bit of stupid bear. Kadoo is a wisecracking, sarcastic bird. So that, at that point, it kind of matched the tritones. Banjo's one and Kadoo, the furthest point away from each other in personality-wise, it matched the music. So yeah. Kind of, yeah. So I redid Mamba's Martin and redid did of Turf Cove. And then, you know, I got more and more into the tritones as the kind of game went on after that. So I, felt like it, I felt like it gave it a real quirky, kooky, oddball sound, and I thought that matched the game. But you know, but there was no wasn't some, wasn't some kind of grand plan. It was like, oh, this sounds all right. Might, I'll just mess about with this for a little while. It wasn't like I had a real vision. It was like you know, you just do it look for the best. Don't you? I didn't think people would talk about it 20, 20 like. <laughs> I thought, now, you know, give it six months, people have forgotten it. For six weeks, i forget. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah,
0: that's why you've got to be careful when you're writing music. <laughs> I, I found months. I own, these days, I make sure I like everything that I write because uh sometimes people will run with it and put it out there on the internet and you can never take that back. <laughs> yeah, I, I
2: know, I, you know, obviously, I, look, I like what I wrote, but I didn't think people would still talking about it all. Especially yeah. that quality, like, you think, especially on Golden IT, you think, no, it's not great sonic quality, everything's 16 hertz, kilohertz. You know, it's, like, mm. not great, but... I still
1: pop it on and listen to it like all the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess,
2: people, I guess the, the whole point about that is that people don't. Like my wife's, we're both metal fans, right? She's, she was a kind of glam metal fan. I was a heavy metal fan. Yeah. Mm. She sort of would listen to crappy old poison on cassette tapes and think it sounded. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> more so muffled and mumbled, like, you know, like she d- d- didn't care. I, I really feel like us composers, right? I think that you can get too wrapped up in that. And, you know, you really can't. Like the average man on the street really doesn't care what it sounds like half the time. Mm, yeah. but it's like it yeah. it's got, it's got a, a tune they like called. They're not that high fidelity. I think we spend an awful lot of time having high high sample rates and all these things that we can do now, you know. And I don't think it's, obviously it's nice to have it and it's good quality, but a lot of people don't really notice it being not great mixes or not great mastering or whatever it is. They don't really notice it.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a good point because at at its core, it's basically, do people connect with this? Does it make them feel that emotion that you want them Mm -hmm. to feel or feel a good emotion in some way? Yeah. Um, and like it's something it's a good point because I have to constantly remind myself when I'm doing mixing and mastering um, I, th- I think I heard I think it was Andrew Sheps mixing engineer he said the only thing that matters is what comes out of the speakers um, and these days a whole lot of people listen to stuff on their phones you know yeah. and they're like flicking through uh, Twitter or whatever mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they hear your music and so it's that balancing act of not getting too wrapped up in making everything absolutely perfect uh, but still making it Sound like the message you're trying to get across actually comes out of those. Phone speakers and you're, yeah. you're listening to it with this.
1: This, you know, when you're making it and composing it and mixing it, you've got headphones on, you've got this huge setup yeah. going, and it's not how people are going to consume it um, at the end of the day. No,
2: and they've probably got these beats headphones, that have got like massive bottom end, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, so you the kind bass. of you know, all, the, all the bottom end, then I mean, it's like, yeah. You know, yeah, that's exactly
0: right. Well, I mean, that's one thing I do. So, my, my head unit in my car has a double bass function on it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, when I'm making music, I'll play it in my car and drive around in the middle of the night with double bass on. Oh, wow. um, to see whether it blows out my speakers
2: yeah
0: because then you have like beatles music
3: which is uh, mixed isn't the right term but it's recording is pretty sloppy like mm. you can hear them talking in the background you listen to hey jude <laughs> you listen to it loud enough you can hear john Lennon go fucking hell when yeah, <laughs> yeah. the yeah. rumors are wet that is
2: yeah and it's been bounced to track to track a lot of the times as well so you lose quality every time you bounce it right to get them you only had four tracks in the, in the early days you know like the drums are on one side and you know it's like it's just you know like no one seems to care do they
0: yeah hey um grant do you find many people you talk to know the story behind the come and have a go thing
2: um i mean you know if i went to like like a video games thing probably yes but i guess not everyone knows that i guess it's still a you know i always think that I've told these stories that many times that everyone should know. Mm. But like, I'm, you know, I'm not that famous, right? You know, I'm just a just just no one composer, so it's, it's not like everyone knows at all. Like, there's a gazillion people out there who have never heard of it, and they don't care. Mm. So I think that if you're in a video games environment, maybe, but um, otherwise, probably not.
0: Yeah. So, so I won't make you tell the whole story again. But if you could just summarize, this was <laughs> this was a phrase that you used. It was in one of the songs, wasn't it? Um, right.
2: Yeah. So like yeah. on Mayhem Temple in banjo Tui. Yep. Um. That Was originally going to be in the first game, we didn't make it. It, it, the level didn't make it in time. So, I'd um, me and the Greg Males, the, the lead design guy, you know, he's still up right to this day doing the athletes, he's still a good mate, of course. Like, we had a bit of a laugh with it, you know, trying to think of something that Mumbo could say well, not say, but like for his voice Well, cause all the characters have got like funny little voices that you know, with tiny memory rights, so just have to kind of make silly things and then, yeah, <laughs> <like, laughs> it. Random pitch, you know, random and, and like that, and then and then so I came up with this: "Come on, have a go if you think you hard." And we thought it's funny little phrase.
1: Mm.
2: So I recorded myself. Sam, so I did mumbo's voice, and I recorded myself doing it, doing that phrase, but doing it like "come up, it, up, up, like that." And then I cut it into bits, and then it was in that tune, but uh, in that game, and it was in the background, and we thought it was quite funny. We thought no one would really notice it. But then it didn't, didn't make the game. And then it came to get Tommy Mumble's voice. I thought, well, like, I've got these samples. I just use them. So I just put the sample, those samples into the, vo- into the voice part and it selects it random all over the place. And that's, that's his voice. So um, I don't think anybody really knew that until I kind of spilled the beans about it later. Yeah,
0: because <laughs> well, one of my friends actually told me about it and I'm like, nah, that's not true. <laughs> and then I, I went and listened to an interview with you. I'm like, no way.
2: Yeah. So it's amazing what you can hide in these things. Well, I no, I, I did a little interview with it. I, not an interview, I did a little video on some Twitter somewhere. I went through each sample and just let, let everybody hear what what it actually sounds like, you know. Um, and it just says that phrase. And then we had that uminaka, that was his... Um, mm. That's because I had a, I, I had a testicle condition at the time. And was, yeah. the doctor poked it, and it went, oh, uminaka, and that, you know. <laughs> so, me, me and Greg, So,
0: what you're saying is you take inspiration from your life around you, often. Uh,
2: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> from yeah, his
1: testicles. Thought, yeah, we
2: thought, we thought it was funny that... um you know, because Nakas are like balls in the UK. Yeah, in yeah. the US it isn't really that. The other oh, yeah. so we thought Uminaka was funny and then yeah. that, that, it was there, like, you know. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was quite funny as well. There's, there's stuff like that all, all over Banjo, like, so, mm. you know, one of those things.
1: It's good that the culture spills into, the, into every aspect of the game, including the audio as well.
2: Yeah, but that, that's what makes Banjo the game it is, I think, and yeah. Mario Rapids. I think that makes it the game it is because people, mm-hmm. you, the things you laugh about amongst yourselves will probably mm-hmm. make everybody else laugh as well. You know, and it's, mm-hmm. it just stick it in there. It's, it's just it makes you laugh. It's probably gonna make everybody else laugh. So I don't know. I think I think the Banjo games have got lots of that, and all the yeah. games that Banjo and grab grab by the ghoulies which is like you know grab by the knackers, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's equally got that kind of humour in it. Any game that Greg did, we all that humour is just in all of it. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: This is a confirmation that people are going to have to go back through all your games and find all these
1: little tricks yeah. now. <laughs> all these references of NACA. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs>
3: this is such a silly question, but I have, I have to ask it because, I don't know, if it's because it's becoming a game developer, it makes me think about it more. What did your office look like at Rare? Like where you work? Oh, yeah. I have an imagination of how you, how you worked always, like when imagining composing, <laughs> and it was always, it's boring in my head. It was just like a keyboard up against the wall, you know, but like, yeah, what, what did your office look like?
2: Your so, workspace. when I first went to work at Rare, it, 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 was, at all, it was called Manor Farmhouse in Twycross, and Twycross is in the middle of nowhere, it's like literally, all that's in Twycross is like Rare, there's a private school that was next to Rare, and a tractor depot that fixed tractors, and a pub, and that was it. There was nothing, it was the middle of nowhere, because right, right, right. people were there, they're like, Jesus Christ, it's, you know, that's where they have to have a canteen, because there's nowhere to go to eat, eat lunch, there's no shops, there's nothing yeah right so it was an old man of farmhouse and when, when they first bought it they, they kind of converted the farmhouse to be a dev for the devs were there's lots of outbuilders like uh, uh, outbuilding stables and stuff and barns and they slowly converted the stables and the barns into being dev blocks so um that's how it was so it was like a very old an old kind of man, not that big a man of, it sounds like a, a great building. it was just a normal size house really more or less maybe a little bit bigger and that so that turned into being the kind of admin area where the, where the admin stuff was and the, you know the, the it guys were there and then the outbuildings t- all got turned into, slowly but surely, into death barns. And we obviously used to call them barns. And there were long, thin buildings, which were, they were like, you had a path, a, 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 oh, not a path, like a, a corridor down the middle. It wasn't a corridor, really. It you know, it's a carpet strip down the middle. And the otters were off to the side of it like that, with sliding doors. And there's no, there's no roof, so it was all open, you know, it went above yeah. your head. But there was no, there's no sound cut off. It was like all, like, all open at the top. So that's where we all were, we were all in these dev barns, and you had these, you have these coded keys, and your key would, would only get you into the barn you were working at, so we kept all the teams super separate, so that the Kinetic Team couldn't get into the banjo team, or vice versa, or the Donkey Kong team, or mm-hmm. so, the Conquer team, or whatever it was, or the GoldenEye team, or Perfect Dark team, you couldn't get into any other, any other part to see what they were doing, and it kind of encouraged a little bit of friendly rivalry amongst the teams at were, which was great. Um, But being an audio guy, because you often switch projects or got into other projects, your keys generally got you everywhere. So we used to see everything, but most people didn't. Mm -hmm. So we used to wonder about, you know, if we could see everyone's game, and, oh, actually, you know, what's going on there, you know, like that. (laughs) So my office was like, I don't know, 15 feet, about about 10 feet, maybe. So there was a window in front of me like that. So you sat, we got the central corridor. And you've got your things off it, and they're kind of diagonally to, the, not diagonally, like horizontally to the thing. Yes, horizontally, no, that's a wrong word. Anyway, so you walk in, and it'd be like that wide, you'd open the sliding door, be a window in front, to would be looking out into whatever it was, a field probably with a cow or something like that. And then you'd want to be there, like a, a desk that kind of went right round round the sides like that, the whole thing. So, you know, like that. So it sounds fancy, wasn't it, really? Uh, that was me. And of course, uh, uh, you know, you were always in with the, the deft, well, they used to have a music block of rare. Uh, where all the music, so there was, there was Robin, Graham, Evelyn, and Dave. But it wasn't a room when I, I was the last guy to work there at that time to, to get hired. So I, was, I wasn't, there was no room in the block. So I got put in this thing called the old chicken shed, which was like an old room used to be the chicken shed. Uh, <laughs> I was in there for a, a while, and then I got moved in, actually, into the banjo team. I was the first person to be, first music guy to actually be in with the team that were so it was good that that, so you know, got part of the team, got got the camaraderie, all the, all the nonsense, it was great fun, you know, so, but of course you got to wear headphones all the time, because no, you couldn't use speakers at all because everyone's just right next to you. So, um, and then after a while, Rare moved a mile down the road to where they are now, which is just called, what's it called now, Manor Park, which is this big gigantic mm-hmm. bit of land that Nintendo, I think, paid for part of the deal when, when they bought, bought Rare. That was a very fancy building, they had a proper studio, you know, big motion capture area, But it's still, it's had a main building which contained all the admin, the music block at the top, and the studio, and the motion capture, and the canteen part, but but all the teams are still in like, still still the same barns. So the Mm. barns just out from the main building in like, straight lines that were like like that, so just the same, but they were two storey. And so that was it. That was still up on plan, still sliding doors, very similar to the way it was at at the old place. And I, then, and I was, of course, I was back. I was in the music block. I was back in with the team again, so I wanted to be. I liked the in of the team,
1: mm. so I was
2: in the team. I think until maybe a deeper I moved into the music block. Then I think on the music part. Um, but I was in with the team too, you know, because I liked it. Yeah, so mm. still, my headphones of course. So that was it. You know. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I love. Yeah, I love that concept of having the bands. the
1: yeah. bands. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. like that. Fantastic. All right, well, I think. We should uh, wrap it. We've gone way over our <laughs> one hour we said we'd be. Thank you for coming on. It's been fantastic hearing all your, uh, all your stories. Um, what's, what's next for you? Uh, any projects that uh, you can talk about? Are you, are you going to be on the new Perfect Dark? <laughs> I want to know. Uh,
2: hand on heart, I've not talked to those guys at okay. all. I'd yeah. Like, yeah. To be, like to be in that game. I really would. I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying. I really am, I really am trying.
0: Not
3: hmm. going
2: nowhere right now. Uh, what mm-hmm. else am I crying for? Um, I can't. I can't talk about just the last thing I've about is worth a walk up.
0: Gotta ask the question. Just to you see have what to ask what what the
2: question. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, it's hard. I can't really. I can't do that. Yeah, nah, I've looked on, on two t- t- indie t- movies. There's one called The Handler and one What's called Shadows. T- for this Michael Mateo Rossi as a director that I know. Yep. Is, that's really cool i did that that the wrong rock animation thing i did a year or so ago that was a, you know that's that was it got into the oscar long list but didn't make the short list for the short animation okay. that's on youtube ah, yeah it's wow. called the wrong rock it's, it's that's super high quality it's like the, one of the, funny enough the, the, the direct, guy that directed that was at rare when i was there it's called michael oh, well, um, he works in hollywood on the big on blockbusters like you know parks of caribbean and jank things like that and he does his own stuff as well he, he does i'm doing a little short animation do you want to write music for us? So, yeah, Fantastic. Uh, and it's, uh, it's it's had over a, a million views on YouTube. It's done really well. Wow! Yeah. But it's it's, it's it's there's no talking. right? it's just it's about little mushrooms. I know it sounds bizarre, um, but I guarantee if you watch that movie, you'll put a smile on your face. It's a really feel good. You'll love it. I guarantee. It.
0: What's yeah. that on? That's really cool. Fantastic.
1: Um, where can people find you on Twitter? You're yeah, that's vocal. My
2: that's my main. one. I've got an Instagram at a what's Not TikTok. But you know, I'm too old for that, really. I think. I think my main point of point of connection is uh, uh, Twitter. Um, you know, that's my I've, as I say. That's my main, and I, I'm quite happy to chat on there. Like I, I, kind of feel like you know I've got a few followers. It's quite. It's funny to have a bit of a chat and I laugh at them all. And I don't, I don't mind taking the mickey out me. I don't mind that. I think it's fun, really. And sometimes you get the odd asshole. You know that if to block, but not very often. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, like, I, I think like, that's a sign that
0: you've made it when you get the arseholes to
2: be honest. Yeah, I, just like I, just, I just like that I think you know if I think to myself yeah. if I could tweet at John Williams and just say hey John I think you're fantastic mate you know yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, oh, you wouldn't like, be the arsehole to him
2: oh, yeah. he's just like, Grant. I'd probably keep that tweet on the wall for the rest of my life you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I really like I'm, saying, I'm not putting myself in that bracket at all but if people want to tweet at me and say I'll, I always try to reply to people and say, "Oh, thanks for liking Banjo, whatever it is." You know, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I know what it's like mm-hmm. to be a fan, right? So, you yeah. know, and I'm not an egotistical person. I, I don't like that nonsense. I'm just a bloke that writes music, right? That's it. Um, mm-hmm. So, I'm happy to chat with anybody, really. And I, you know, mm-hmm. and I really, I like that environment. I think it's, and I, you know, I've, cause when I'm sat writing music when I'm when I press save or whatever. I might have a quick look at Twitter, a quick type away, and then back to the music. And you know, I'm always sat looking at it during the day, so. It's a brief distraction for five minutes to do something else without that music. So I really like it.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one, we always ask this at the end of our shows to every guest, if you could give one piece of advice to say in this, in this circumstance, uh, game composers, what would that
2: be? Always say yes. That would be Because <laughs> mm-hmm. right, like, when people ask you to write music, you go, you know what, I'm not, there right, suck it. They, don't, they don't care about that. They just want to hear you say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, for a while it was quite popular over here to get, to get asked to write uh, marching band music with a hip hop beat, right mm-hmm. I was like, wow. you know i've never done that. I' got a clue what like, <laughs> yep, yeah, I do that all the time. My favorite thing I do if I, do, I, do, I, do, I do my spare time I write that, you know, you know, you know I mean? it's like I really feel like you just, you've got to give, you've got to look be confident, you've got mm-hmm. to never say no. Even if you 've got a clue what they want. just Google it and find it. That, you know, saying even just if, when you go uh, enough of that next guy, they don't want to hear that.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: directors of creative directors, whatever they have, got enough problems without having a, having a problematic composer. And also, I think the composers, a lot of the time, we're quite introvert guys, really. Um, You know, and like I always say, you know, we sit in our own in rooms like this, you know, for eight hours a day, mostly, not talking to a soul, right? And that's, what, and that's how we like it. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to talk to people. Mm. I like it by myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so, I mean, I think that you've got to be able to put on, even if it's not you, have got to, like, I can be the jolliest guy in the world, right? I'm not like that at all. My, that's my wife. She'll see him, tell you I'm a miserable bugger. <laughs> you know, so you've got to be able to project that image, that fun, crack it, have a joke. You know, they want, they want that fun guy that can have a laugh with that, you know, that doesn't give them any problems. Mm-hmm. You know, be that guy, even if it's hard. And I know it's hard because I have to do it. You know, it's not, it's not my natural way at all but I feel like get used to doing it, you know, mm-hmm. because that will get you a long way. Being amicable, not argumentative. Always saying, yes, no trouble. You know, if you want to work, you've got to prostitute yourself, right? That's the only way. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to write a, like me, I've written a couple of trombone concertos. It was fantastic fun. I didn't have to ask anybody what they thought about it. It's like, I'm writing it, it's my piece of music. You don't like it, get stuffed. I don't care. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. this is great, right? You want to do that? Fantastic. You want to work for somebody else and get paid for it a different way? You better do what they want. Mm. That's
0: it. it. It is a really good point though, because I, I think as composers we do get caught up in our own like this is our art. We it has to be perfect for us kind of thing. But at the end of the day, you know, if someone's paying you to do it, it's for them. And if it's for an audience, it's for the audience. And if it's for a product, it's for the products. And you have mm. to. I find I have to constantly remind myself this isn't about me. <laughs> this is about mm. making this product the best product it can be.
2: Yeah, that's so, totally right. I, I, I've got, you know, I've got no time for people who, who who want to get paid for it like that and not agree with it. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. If you want to write your own stuff, great. You can sell it. You know, great, fantastic. If you're going to be a, a, a media composer, which we all are these days, you've got to write what they like. Otherwise, mm-hmm. there's so many fantastic composers out there. Like, there's thousands and thousands of really people that are shit times better than me. Without, you know, without a doubt. You know, I don't you have to, you know, when I hear young composers these days, I kind of go, oh Christ, you know. How did they write that <laughs> music? I'm, I'm, just, I'm cracked at that, you know. Like, so you just, you know, don't be yeah. argumentative. It's a waste of time. Yeah. it'll get it's you st- nowhere.
1: Yeah, staying humble and not basically thinking that you're everything, even if you've done a lot, basically.
2: Yeah, you know, yeah. be humble but be brilliant. That's what I always say. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. That's brilliant. That. Oh, that's, 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 that's the way to be. You know, you know, be humble but be brilliant. Try your mm-hmm. absolute best, but don't think you you're, you're the best thing in the, in the world because you're not. There's always yeah. someone better than you probably 10,000 people better than you. Certainly mm-hmm. my case, we're sure there are. You know, so <laughs> it's like, you just, you can't you can't think like that. You've got yeah. to stay hungry, always. and yeah. want to get better, like I'm dying to get better. I'm sick of being like I am, I want to be better than I am. I? <laughs> it's like, that's it. Yeah.
1: yeah, fantastic. That's a great piece of advice. Mm. Thank you very much for coming on. Oh, so it's been a real pleasure. A real Grant. pleasure,
2: yeah. Oh, thanks for asking, get the old bloke out now, that, you know it's all right, isn't it? we'll trip out for a bit of a chat. You
0: know, Yeah, let us know when you're coming down to Australia,
1: yeah. down to
2: SA. Yeah, I want to been yeah, warned, be we came, came for our honeymoon like it was, we, I think we went to uh, Brisbane, Cairns, Sydney and Melbourne.
1: Yep. Everyone skips Adelaide. Everyone
2: skips the water <laughs> Well, that's all right,
0: well, yeah, it's all but right. What? Everything's open here at the moment, so yeah, if you right. manage to get down, then we can go down to the pub. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. I, I'd like that. My wife's got relatives actually, I think, on Kangaroo Island. Is it Kangaroo Island. Oh, oh, nice. Right. It's just yeah. off the coast here. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah she's got relatives on, on that island actually, so uh, yep. bizarrely enough. Uh, so uh, my parents went a few times we we didn't didn't get to there but um, I guess someday we will I'll I'll tell you what honestly hand on heart I loved Australia I felt like all the the best bits of Britain and the best bits of America's (laughs) everyone was super friendly it was a bloody good laugh Uh, we loved that we loved being there it was Britain
3: yeah that's awesome We'll hold you to that. When you, when you get to Kangaroo <laughs> Island, send Live Bullions a message, and we will all meet you for a beer.
2: If you're buying the pints, mate, I'll be there. No yeah, we we will buy it. It's fine. <laughs> <We'll do> it.
0: <laughs> this this time, <laughs> this time. <laughs> Thanks, Grant. All right, gents.
3: Thank Thanks. you so oh, much.
2: Yes, no, yeah, Have a, a good day. day. Anytime, good, good luck over Good luck. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. you. Bye.